0: Hey, good morning church family, it's so good to be back before you again, um, and I just want to say thank you, because uh, as you know, I'm, I'm not the leader here, I'm not the pastor here, I am shoulder to shoulder with you as a brother in Christ, believe that I have been called to deliver a hard message, and I'm thankful that even though I get to be the deliverer, I, that's, that's my part I guess in growth was obedience. And I got to tell part of that story last time, and I aim to tell the rest of the story today. And so thank you for uh, bearing with me. First off, just a little bit of thanks, um, because uh, I have had so many people come and say, man, Troy, we are praying for you. And in this last hour, going to my ABF class, and I got to hear these words of people, and I'm glad I got out of there when I did, or I'd be the guy with the motion right now. You know, I I so appreciate them. I so, so appreciate those also that gave me technical help. Dennis DuPont, you that's on Faith Online probably, um, brother in Christ, neighbor, thank you for your technical help and some of what went on today, for the encouragement of many people and our staff. I I just appreciate that. Would you just open with me in prayer before we launch, if we could? Heavenly Father, I just do, uh, with some intrepidation, again, come forward. Because again, Lord, I know that I'm going to say things wrong. Because, Lord, I'm I'm filled with error, and even compared to your righteousness, to stand here on this stage is a filthy rag. And your word's pretty clear, that none are worthy. Thank you so much, Lord, for your righteousness that washes over us, that we get to stand before you clean. So would you give us hearts and minds, Lord, that are open to what would be heard? And would you allow us to reach deep into our own hearts to see what we need to understand about ourselves and how we need to look at our agendas and our objectives and stay to the way of Christ. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, so hard, hard things. You know, so, so much of how I relate to faith and things is partly through what I do, right? Right? Um, a lot of the examples, a lot of those things, I just relate to what I go and do every day. And again, part of, part of what I do as a physical therapist, I spent several years in the acute care setting. And uh, you have to know some of the mantras of medicine now, okay? One of those mantras is, is early mobility. Here's an interesting factoid for y'all. Back when, I'm not sure how many years ago, um, Salem, Salem Hospital had its first total hip patient. That hospital stayed in the hospital, that patient stayed in the hospital for 30 days. 30 days in the hospital. Now, do you know how long you stay if you're fast tracked? Overnight. Hard to believe for me. If you're a total knee patient now, they're now making, if you're healthy and and things all look good, could be a day surgery. Even back when I started 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago, a little hard to believe, Um, that stay was going to be somewhere between 10 and 14 days. And those people that were in that pain and in that trial and in that struggle, you know who they had to face up to? Mate. So there they are, on drugs, in pain, big medical procedure, remote control in hand, nurse's button ready to go, and I come and tell them to get up. It can be a hard thing. But the bottom line is what you find is, is that the truth of the matter is, when it comes to those people that are bedridden, we spend time in bed, we quickly lose strength. Statistics say about three, if you're to lay in an ICU bed and not move a muscle, about 3% a day. And as many of you know, that doesn't come back overnight. It takes time. We lose it fast and it comes back slow. We stand the potential of things like blood clots, bed sores, bowel obstructions, respiratory distress. And so we get them up and get them going. Well, I wanted to tell you what I have to label is the EP story. The EP story. So uh, one day I I, I go to this room and and, um, I'm working with a, a client that had a total knee replacement and it's been a tough go. And I'm not winning any points with her because every time I get her up, it's hard. And I don't care what I say, it's just not the right thing. And so, folks, I hate to tell you, but I've taken a few abuses along the way in doing the hard things. And with this particular person, we, we, we got to the end of her, her stay, and uh, she's getting ready to go home. But she's by herself, but she's having a friend who's going to be her care provider who also is, is, is quite advanced in age. And my job is to go and make sure that that caregiver is able to take care of her and that she's able to do well enough where she doesn't hurt the caregiver, right? And so I go in this room... And uh, I said, Well, we got to get up. You got to demonstrate to me that you can do these things functionally before we release you, write a release to go home. She said, I'm not getting up. I'm going home. I go, No, you don't understand. I need to document that, in fact, these things can be done. She said, I'm not getting up. She's got this Bible sitting, her personal Bible sitting by her bed. I see you've got a Bible there. Do you know that in there it's, we are called to be obedient you know in there we are called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? I do not want you hurting this caregiver. You need to get out of that bed, get up and show me what you can do so I can be confident that I'm doing my job and you're not going to hurt this person. She looks at me and she says, Young man, you quit preaching to me, she says. She throws back the covers. She gets out of bed. She marches around that bed. She gets back in, throws the cover, glares at me like, there! I don't know who thought I was worse. Her or the caregiver for making her do this. What I say is this. Sometimes doing the hard things is the right thing. Sometimes saying the hard truth is the right thing to say. Speaking of hard teachings, so often in Scripture we look at Scripture and we hang on to those things that are the miraculous stories in the Gospels. Those things that are the miraculous, the wonderful, the things Christ did, the things that we hang on to. Can I give you an example? The feeding of the 5,000. Now, you all know that story, right? The feeding of the 5,000 where Christ multiplies the bread, he multiplies the fish, and all are fed and they're all satisfied. How many of you remember the rest of that story? Do you remember? Because it doesn't have that happy of an ending. So I'm going to pose this to you today. The untold second half of the story of the feeding of the 5,000 the, falling, of the way, falling away of many of these people. Now, I need to preface a little bit. As Jesus is speaking to this crowd of people, realizing they're loving what he's saying, and they've just had their fill, right? Matter of fact, they are so taken and captivated, captivated by Christ that they are going to rush forward and make him king. Do you remember that? Feeding of the 5,000 from the book of John, anyway? It's in all four of the Gospels. And Jesus, knowing this, says he withdraws to a mountainside, to a mountain. The next morning, his disciples actually get in boats, and they start rowing to Capernaum. And the seas get rough, and that's where Jesus actually walks on water to get to them, right? So they arrive in Capernaum, and the people, the crowd, they're like, wow, where's Jesus? I'm hungry again. And they're going, where is he? Well, apparently many of them also, they get in boats, and they go in search of him in Capernaum. Let's pick it up there. From, this is from uh, the book of John, chapter 6, 26 and 27, and then John 6, 60 through 69. They're going to put them on the screen for you. Thank you very much, guys. John, chapter 6, 26 through 27 says this, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then Jesus gives a hard teaching about His eating his body and drinking his blood. It's a hard one. And then here's a response from John 6, 60 through 69. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life, yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one comes to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples, that is the people who had been following Christ, were part of that crowd of 5,000 Men only, and plus the women and children that would have been there, disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, these are people the day before were ready to rush him and by force make him king. They turn their backs and they walk away. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve as he turned to them, Simon Peter. He answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the word of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Hey, As each of you walk this difficult path of faith, where do you stand in hard times? Will you turn and walk away? That's what I ask you today. Especially as we get into these hard truths, these hard things, these hard things to say that need to be part of our understanding and part of our equipping as we're we're walking forward. So, um, I got to tell you the rest of the story of why in the world am I here? Because I forgot part of it last week or two weeks ago. And, uh, For those who may not have been here or heard, let me just recount a little bit. So um, when when Derek announced that he needed to take a step back, I was profoundly stirred by God's Spirit to make a request of our elders. Would you let me have a Sunday? Because, man, the Lord's stirring in my heart. And um, as uh, I got a COVID shot and I'm laying there trying to recover, he laid this out for me. He just laid it out. All I had to do was be obedient to step forward to deliver the message. That's how I felt about it, in all honesty. And uh, Ed, who wanted to understand what's the message, so I kind of sent an outline, he said, we're going to meet together. And he expressed to me the concern, because as I move along here and I have a message to deliver, right, but it's not to discredit the fact that many people are hurting, that are upset, that are in recovery process, and I don't want to belittle that, because it may seem like, man, I'm being harsh. I don't mean to be that way. We are all in process, and we're all trying to understand, and people have different dispositions in their heart, in their being, in their spirit, that we need to be receptive to. We are to keep that door of reconciliation open. We are to keep that door of restoration open, as far as it depends on us. That's how we're to walk in love for one another, right? Right? And so, uh, so I said, Ed, um, I appreciate your concern. He was concerned about what I had to say and my disposition and how it was going to come across, right? Man, Lord bless him and our leaders because that was their expressed concern. But my response was maybe a little startling. And we may have a problem because the spirit I'm being given is not the spirit of timidity. I've been called forward. I have confidence in this. This is what's going on in my heart. But then my self-doubt kicked in. I'm, that was on a Saturday. Sunday comes, Sunday goes, Monday morning comes, and I'm finding myself walking across. I always park on one, one side of the street. I have to walk across the, the um, pedestrian area across the street to get to the hospital, and I'm just doubting Laura I don't, I don't know. you know these guys have really demonstrated what humility looks like to me, and and so I'm struggling here knowing the bearing. How do you say this? What do you do? And I'm not sure. And uh, what was kind of humorous last week is, see, I I wear glasses, but I'm not wearing glasses because I hate wearing glasses in front of a crowd, and I'd gotten this picture, and go ahead and put it up there, guys. I had had apparently this picture up there. I didn't know it because I can't see it. And I'd gotten it to Matt kind of late, so I just thought, well, okay. I, I, I didn't see it, so I didn't acknowledge it. So I, I get home on Sunday, and the other spirit in our house, my wife, <laughs> says, Troy, what was the picture up there for? I go, oh, was that up there? She goes, yes! You didn't s- explain it! And I go, okay, well, that's because... That is being retained for the second part here. <laughs> so uh, when I, whenever I go into the hospital, they ask the questions, you know, uh, you know, have you been exposed to COVID? Do you have COVID? Do you have a temperature? Do you have signs and symptoms? You're told no. You're given a little sticker, and then that says, yes, you've been asked questions, go on to work. So I'm, I'm, I got this weight on me as I'm going to work that day. This is what I'm praying as I'm going to work. I go in, I check in, I'm asked the questions, as I'm praying these words, she hands me it, and this is what it says. It says, be bold. You know, I I don't mean to over-spiritualize things, but I also don't want to miss the fingerprint of God in my life, okay? Okay? I think we have to be sensitive because usually God whispers, and he shows up in subtle ways, and I hope today he doesn't show up in subtle ways. I hope he speaks the word in truth, and I hope you have words that are receptive to it. The rest of the story. And I'm so sorry, I almost missed the other half of the other story. Can I finish it real quick? So this is back to the EP story. So this, this woman goes home with a total knee, right? And if you don't think God has a sense of humor, I'm going to let you know he does. So uh, we had classes here at Faith. We had a 101, 201, 301. And, and uh, um, you know, the 101 is kind of introductory to church history, that kind of stuff. 201 was, was Disciplines of Faith. Okay, it's a 201 class. Michael Davis normally caught the class taught the class, but once in a while, he'd be gone, he'd ask me to fill in. So, and it was usually like three, three and a half hour class that we we used to have. And so, a couple times I fill in, and and I'm getting ready, I'm preparing for this thing, I'm, I'm, I'm up at the class, who walks in the door? I couldn't believe it, it was E.P., it was E.P., don't you be preaching to me, young man. She had to listen to me for three and a half hours. <laughs> God's sense of humor. All right, so let's go to the body of what we need to dig into again, all right? I need a quick review. Be patient with me. This is the third of three. Cut to the heart, the name of the series. I need to tie this together. Bear with me. So... Uh, this brings us back to the primary body of Scripture that we had turned to before. It was second chapter of Acts. It was 14 through 44, and then Acts 3, 19. And um, these, if you could put those now, the six points, the six methodologies, that as Peter went through and he's addressing this crowd, and again, remember, the day of Pentecost came, second chapter of Acts, and this miraculous event The sound of a storm, at least the sound of, and suddenly the dividing of these flames resting on on these people, and they're speaking in tongues. This so happens, this is the the, uh, day of Pentecost, and they had a great Jewish celebration day, and you have people representing at least, Scripture mentions, 15 different languages that are there. Amazing thing you think about. They're experiencing a miracle. What do they do? They take their 15 languages and they bring them home with them from there. Peter, who experiences this, then addresses this group of people. He explains to them. It not only happens here in in this portion, but also later in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, he again addresses the Jews, and after that addresses the leaders. He takes these methodologies to appeal, to reason with, to captivate those who are listening. And as we experience these things within our ranks, controversy, conflict, differences, hearsay, different opinions, rebellion, disagreement, paraministry conflict, suspicions, accusations, lack of forgiveness, disunity and disobedience, yes, you know right away we've all got a part, Right? We've all got a part. These are parts of our body of where we're experiencing this and we are all hurting. It's not a time to walk away. It's a time to take God's Scripture and realize that in ways I personally believe we have grieved the Spirit of God. And I believe there are methodologies in which we need to understand in our disposition in Scripture, we need to respond to that in obedience and I want to experience the refreshing of God's Spirit. Amongst us. You with me? So I want to be shoulder to shoulder with you in understanding and in love of each other, but at the same time demonstrating the fact that God calls us to account in hard teachings. He expects us not to walk away. To what degree? This is an interesting point. What if I asked you the question or or I told you the statement, I know when the end of time comes. I know when Jesus is coming back. Most of you would go, oh no, we got a heretic on our hands now, right? If you turn to Revelations chapter six, and, and don't, I'm just gonna tell you this real quick, but I want you to go investigate yourself. Anything I say, go investigate, please. But it says this: To what degree will your obedience go to follow Christ, even in the hard things? To what degree? Because this is what God says. He says that in chapter 6, it says it has these figures that are underneath the altar. And they are people who have been granted white robes and it says they've been martyred for the name of Christ. And they're crying out to God and they're saying, God, when? When will you avenge us, Lord? And he says this, the judgment of the world will come when all of those that I have been appointed to die for me are accounted for that's when the end will come. To that degree we're called. Are you ready? Because the evidences in these conflicts to me say we're not. We are not ready. We are not there. We struggle even when the hard teachings, let alone when our life hangs in the balance. And we need to exhort each other together, to build this body of Christ. And so there were these six methodologies. One, Peter goes to Scripture. Peter reveals the Gospels of Jesus. Peter convicts them of their sin and their part in in Christ's death. And so in those first parts, the first three parts handled two weeks ago, Peter goes to Scripture, I asked you these questions. How are we called to view Scripture? That is the word of truth. How does Jesus feel about the body, the church that He calls His bride? How does Jesus identify those who love Him? Bottom line, they obey Him. How are we called to love one another? How we are called to how we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. How are we are called to unity in the church? How we are called to submit and be obedient to our leaders. And that was the tough part that we talked about two weeks ago. Why? Because God calls it commendable. Even if we have to bear up through unjust suffering. Because of Jesus' example. He who committed no sin, where he had no deceit, there was no retaliation, there was no threats. He entrusted himself to God the Father, and he wants us to do the same. That tied in so well with Bruce's message from last week. Have you been thinking about that yourself? If I had, if I had one takeaway from last week, it was this. And if we set our agendas and objectives that take us far from the way of Christ, then we need to lay them down. Man, I, that's been chewing on me all week long. I am so guilty of my own agendas, my own stuff, my own things, my own selfishness. I don't lay them down well. I put myself first. How do you do? Lay down our agendas. Lay down our emotions, he said. Lay down our attitudes. Take control of them to the obedience of Christ. Great tie-in, I thought, from the scripture we'd studied the week before. Methodology number two is Peter reveals the gospel. To him who died and him who is still our Savior, was the second point. Number three, Peter convicts them of their sin. And that's where those lyrics had come in. So cut me to the heart, Lord. Reveal your perfect way. Help me see my wayward heart, lest I continue to stray. Call me to repentance. Heal this broken place, because you're still our Savior who calls us to obedience that brings us to up to date. Point number four. Peter goes to history and he brings up, in that case, a credible figure being King David. From there we'll go to Peter directs a response to the onlookers in regards to their sin. And then the last methodology Peter used was Peter warns and pleads them with many words. So, methodology number four. Peter goes to history. The point I wanted to bring up was that, you know, there are momentous times in Scripture which were pivotal times for the kingdom of Israel. And I want you to come up with examples in your own mind or what were pivotal times for our own church body, our own legacy that's left. And so I came up with three just in Scripture that to me were just some of my favorites. The number one being is, when Joshua commits and commissions Israel at the conclusion of his life, this is from Joshua 24:1, and then Joshua 24:14 through16, and then 24 through 31. I think they're going to put it on the screen, I think. He says this: This is the conclusion of, of Joshua's life. Joshua 24:1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges and officials of Israel and they presented themselves before God. Joshua 24:14 through 16 says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers, worship beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land that you are living." that are as far as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the part I love right here. Joshua 24, 31. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything that the Lord had done for Israel. Wasn't the group, the generation that marched through the desert, was it? What did it take for that next generation? Faith and faithfulness, and leaders they looked up to. They lifted up. That generation was faithful. We are a generation in this church, this church's generation. How will we serve? Will we be faithful? Will we be called to his word? Declare your position. Solomon did much the same as he called in the building of the temple. And again, he called the people to conviction from Second Chronicles 6. And another one that I really liked was when the exiles returned to Israel and they were again rebuilding the temple. This is from Ezra 3, 11 through 13. And it says this, With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love to Israel endures forever. And it's kind of interesting because at this point, all they had done is rebuilt the foundation of the temple. This, this part I thought was gripping. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Oh, that we also be restored in our foundations and see the Spirit of God refresh us. So I'd like to bring you to a momentous time in the history of this church, Faith Evangelical Free Church. This was an exciting one for me. I remember this day. I had goosebumps for a week. I thought, man, Lord, what have you got in store for our church? This is a great time. This is taken with the help of Dennis DuPont from the installment ceremony of Derek on April of 2017. Would you listen to it with me, please? And look at that same expectation that you had. Listen to the commitments that were made. And I want you to listen to this from Hal Spence at the very end, the predictions that he made about what was coming. Okay? You guys help me with that?
1: Uh, I really want to uh,
0: first say uh, good morning, church.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Darlene and I want to thank everybody that made it possible for us to be here today. I thank uh, Derek for his invitation for the elders, for uh, honoring me as we honor this transition. Um, As I thought about what I might be saying, I ought to say something important uh, at this moment, and I wanted to uh, uh, reflect a couple of words from the book of Hebrews. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Later, the author goes on and says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Chapter 11 goes on to recount and list for us several people that uh, we know from Old Testament stories, and scholars refer to this as the Hall of Fame of Faith. Included in the registry are names like Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Rahab. Then we come to chapter 12, verse 1, and we move from the Hall of Fame to the athletic stadium and the race of faith, Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's held out to us. I'm fascinated by this phrase, the great crowd of witnesses. Most likely, the scholars tell us that the cloud of witnesses are those saints who have completed their race of faith and are now sitting in the stands cheering us on as we continue to run our race. In the stadium. We, motivated by their legacy of faith, are to run with perseverance the race set before us. These words let us know that we enjoy the home field advantage as the Saints cheer us on as we compete in our own competition and contest of faith. I think every church has its own Hall of Fame of faith. I would like to remind you of some of the names of those people from Faith Free's Hall of Fame of Faith. Carl and Golda Walder, Jim and Beth Sutter, Rudy and Minnie Reimer, John and Bess Green, George and Olga Taves, Abe and Martha Bueller, Roy and Vi Kramer, Clarence Jansen, Walt Rocky. These were among the men and women who, 39 years ago, took a big risk and called me to serve as the pastor of this church. I was, at the time, a young pastor out of seminary, and to use one of Martha Bueller's favorite expressions, I was someone who didn't know beans from Buckshot. (laughs) These heroes of faith nevertheless gave me their devotion, their loyalty, and their love. Even when I didn't deserve it, grace was freely given. I remember their simple prayers of faith sometimes said with tears rolling down their cheeks, Lord bless this pastor's ministry Help us reach the lost for Christ. By their attitude and action, they told me they would go to any length, do whatever it took, and pay any price to advance the cause of Christ in this church and the world. Today, 39 years later, I stand where they stood, and their legacy of faith calls out to me still. I hear them cheering us on. From the grandstand of faith, forsake your sin, be done with lesser things, go to any length, do whatever it takes, pay any price, run with endurance the race God has set before you, Derek. So, Derek and Amy, uh, 15 years ago, I gave my daughter away in marriage right down here. They changed the carpet. (laughs) (laughs) It was stained, I suppose, with tears. I was an emotional mess, even worse than I am right now. I thought I was a blessed man because I knew my daughter had prayed and planned and prepared well. I thought then, as I still think today, I could not have a better man for my daughter than Sam. If I had chosen him myself, today I count myself doubly blessed because the bride of Christ has prayed and planned and prepared well. And I could not have chosen a better couple to pastor this church. So, Derek, it is with uh, great pleasure. That I hand off this bride of Christ to you with a warning and an expectation. Okay. Sounds good. She has a mind of her own. (laughs) And I'm expecting spiritual grandchildren soon. (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh, And I also want to thank uh, Pastor Dennis. I thank you for your fine pre-pastoral counseling for this congregation. You were the right man at the right time for this church. You've done your work well. I am proud to be associated with you, and thank you. And so, as the relay continues, I hand you the baton. Thank you.
2: Please ref- respond to these two questions with a verbal response of we will when I prompt you. Number one, will you commit to uphold Derek's hands as lead pastor through your prayers, service, fellowship, and obedience? We will. Will you commit to uphold Derek's hands as a husband to Amy and as a father to Christopher, Mia, Trevor, and Kalen by understanding that they are his first ministry and first priority Let's pray Lord uh, as a member of this group this congregation of misfits and stumblers We as a group give you thanks Thank you lord for answering our prayers for bringing us Derek and and amy and her and their family lord, um Because we all know that this would not have happened without your guidance, without your intervention here, Lord. Lord, we pray as a congregation that you would shield Derek and Amy from the enemy's attacks for their family, Lord, because we know that Satan would like nothing better than to uh, interfere with what's going on here, Lord. So we pray that you would bring your forces together around Derek and Amy and their family, that to protect and to shield, Lord. Lord, around this congregation, I pray that you would protect us from Satan's just trying to... I'm sure he hates what's going on here, Lord. So we just, um, we really need your protection. Lord, I pray as a congregation, too, that we know that the battle's not over. The war is not over. We're just starting a new, a new uh, campaign here. So would you uh, empower us, Lord, and help us as a congregation to, to remember to pray. Lord, prompt us, especially me, because I can't ever remember it. But, Lord, prompt us to pray for Derek and Amy, for our church. And, Lord, prompt us to pray for that neighbor next door to us that so we don't even know their names. Lord, pray. just prompt us to pray for our, our neighborhood and for our city, Lord. Um, Lord, the ultimate goal is to bring your gospel to every person in this area. And um, empower us to do that. We pray this
0: in the name of Jesus. I had to quit looking at you guys, too many tears out there. Let me finish, would you? It's gripping though, isn't it? Sometime, sometime in the future, we're gonna be in that heavenly grandstand of faith. But for right now, the war's not over. Don't walk away. We're called to be a body of Christ. That's what we're called to. The fifth methodology that Peter uses. Peter gives direction in response to their sin. Many of us have walked away from our commitment to support this ministry, this pastor and his family. Some of us have had hard hearts. Some of us have made false accusations. Many of us have let pride, the thing that God hates, get in the way. Others have taken up their agendas, their objectives, and in in the process have left far behind the way of Christ. Some of us need to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ to exhort them to come to the table of reconciliation. Some of us just need to forgive. All of us need to remember this, again from Isaiah 66.2. This is the one I esteem says the Lord, he whose heart is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. At times our hearts remain far off, our loyalties confused. We think we've got the answer, but it takes us far from you. We make us more important and want our point of view, but that's not what you call us to. And we know that this is true. So, cut me to the heart, Lord. Reveal your perfect way. Help me see my wayward heart, lest I continue to stray. Call me to repentance and heal this broken place, because you're still our Savior who calls us to obedience. You know, uh, some of the concerns man, it's tough coming back up after worshiping like that and seeing that. I'm a mess. You guys a mess? You feeling that? I feel it. And I'm so thankful. Because some of the concerns people have is about, gee, it's different. It doesn't feel the same. You know what I love this? Because you're looking at Christ, and Christ comes along, and what was Christ? He was heralded by this guy wandering in the desert. Make way, make straight the path of this Christ. That was weird. Christ's ministry was nomadic. Who did he appeal to? Did he go to the educational elite? No, he went to those who needed a doctor, he said. Hung out with those that the Pharisees called sinners. Man, he was weird. That looked different to this culture. And so as people look at this ministry and say, well, that looks different. I love that statement. Get used to different. We got a changing culture. We got a people now who don't want to go to church. And you know what we're doing in our little town right now? We're not getting new converts to Christianity. We're just shuffling churches. That's what we're doing. We got to get used to different. We got to open our houses up, which is really the call of this ministry. People, would you be part of a community life group? Open your houses. Reach out and touch your neighbors. Get them into your house because church is not the centric place anymore. So that brings us to our last point methodology of, of Peter. The sixth and final, Peter warns and pleads them with many words. And you guys are going, oh no, we're getting late here. My point is simply this the third time Christ showed himself to the apostles was on the shore of the, the Sea of Tiberias, also called the Sea of Galilee. You all know the story. At, t- at times, it's uh, called the reinstatement of Peter because Peter denied him three times. And suddenly, Christ makes bread and cooks their breakfast for them early in the morning. And he's across from Peter. He asks him these questions. Can you imagine Peter's disposition? He knows that just days before he had denied Christ three times. And you know what? Jesus didn't ask him to step down, he didn't ask him for a revote. On him, he built his church and he spread it to the world. That's what he called him to. I love when Al stood up and said, You know, people, uh, I failed at times. It was a rocky road in parts of my ministry. Who lifted me up? It was these pe- people who are now in my hall of faith fame that made my ministry what it was. They lifted me up. And so he asked Peter three times, Do you love me? I'm asking you, congregation, my church family, <laughs> do you love them? No, I'm asking, do you love him? Then grow in your faith that you may be effective and fruitful for him. I ask you again, do you love him? Yes. Then love each other and accept this ministry of reconciliation that he's given us, every one of us. I ask you your third time, do you love him? Yes. Then repent and take on the hard teaching of submission and obedience that we may respond to Christ's example and his calling. Scripture says this about our faith it's narrow, and it can be hard, and it can be rocky. Can I petition you this? Fight the fight, run the race. Keep the faith and may the Spirit of God refresh us. Thank you guys.